0: Last week, we began a series called The Way. And we uh, talked about how we're not just called to be Christians, but we're called to be disciples of the way of Jesus. And, you know, we talked about there's a few stats out there that, you know, in the US, 63% of people would say they're a Christian. But only 4% are actually disciples of Jesus. And um, we looked at the stats uh, in Australia and they haven't measured the disciple part, but they've measured in the 2021 census, they measured that 43%, 43 43.9% or something of Australians would um, call themselves a Christian Christian. But we know that not 43% of Australia is a disciple of Jesus because otherwise Australia would look very, very different, <laughs> right? So we've, we've got this disconnect between what a Christian is and what a disciple is. And we, as believers, we want to land in the disciples' camp who are also Christians. <laughs> um, and the way that we do that is by following who? Who? Jesus, we're called to follow him. We're, we're not just called to subscribe to an idea of Christianity and come to church on a Sunday, but we're called to follow Jesus. And so um, we are going to start talking about creating a way of life modelled after the way of Jesus that helps us. It, it, it acts like a trellis, if you'd like, for us to grow in the knowledge of God, it will it will draw us closer to the Lord, and it will position us to be transformed from the inside out. Because we want to be those people, yes, yes, Hallelujah! All right, but before uh, we kick into it, into it today, is there a graphic there? Got a graphic for you. <laughs> Last week, we, I introduced the idea that there are some spiritual disciplines and some practices that we can give ourselves to, to help us grow into the image of Jesus, like a trellis. So they are the practices. So we're talking about things like prayer, fasting, solitude, uh, Sabbath, things like this, okay? Okay. Um, there are things that we can give ourselves to, and we're going to start unpacking some of those over the coming weeks. But I don't want you to have in your mind, that is the silver bullet. If I just do these things um, alone, I will become a disciple of Jesus. It's a part of it, okay? Does that make sense? Also, at the top of the triangle, we have this thing called truth. Jesus said, he, he said, not only did he say, I am the way, he said, I am the truth. Okay, so truth matters. Giving yourself to the truth of the word of God is imperative to see you becoming like Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. And the way you perceive even or interpret the Bible can impact you growing closer to God. Does that make sense? Unfortunately, some people have grown up in churches who have taught them wrong doctrine, okay, which warp their, go- warp their perspective of God and also who they are in Christ, okay? And that can have very dire consequences to you knowing Jesus, how you, how you can know him. So I, I want to say, like, truth is a huge key, Knowing truth, what does the Bible say? You will know the truth and it will set you free. If you're not free, maybe check what you're believing. Okay? Truth is very important. Down on this, um, oh, and I'll go back to truth for a second. The truth is in who? Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. So if we're not sure... What God is like, who do we look at? Jesus. If we're not sure who we're meant to be, who do we look at? Jesus. Jesus is the truth about God and he's the truth about you. If, you're, uh, if, if you have some theology that rubs up against that, read this book. Jesus is the truth about God and he's the truth about you. Okay? Down to community. We would love for this not to be the case. But the fact is, you will not grow into a mature disciple of Jesus without the community, without the family of believers, the body of Christ. You and me, were all part of the body of Christ. And he made it that we would need one another. We would, because why? We need to serve one another. We need to learn sometimes communities like the sandpaper. <sighs> and it can be really uncomfortable because, you know, if we all had a chat, we probably wouldn't be friends in normal life. Some of us might be. But it would be very rare that you'd get this many people in a room and we would all like, be like, yes, I would hang out with you in my spare time and I would love it. Do you know what I mean? But, but the Lord's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save you all and I'm going to call you my body. And I'm going to give you each gifts and talents. And you're going to learn to perfect my love in this body. Because he said, by your love for one another, will the whole world know that you're my disciples. Does that mean the church always gets it right? No, unfortunately not. What happens when immature Christians, immature Christians or immature disciples try to lead churches? It makes a mess. And so I want to apologize to anyone who's ever been in a church where you've been led by someone who is not following the way of Jesus and and if you've been hurt in your heart, like my prayer is that you will find um, healing and forgiveness for that, and and that you would trust the Holy Spirit to not only mend your heart, but to bring you into a healthy family where you can try again. That's our heart: is that everyone would would grow together. Praise God unity is important and you will not be formed into the image of Christ you'll miss you'll miss so much richness in the middle of it all is who <laughs> holy spirit how we need him how we need him in all of it we need the holy spirit to what illuminate truth we need the holy spirit to help us as we give ourselves to the spiritual practices we need the Holy Spirit in community. Gosh, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in the church. It doesn't work without him. So we have these things all working together to form us to look like Jesus. There's two other things. You can you can choose to give yourselves to these. These are uh, above the line. <laughs> You can, choose yourself, you can choose to like wholeheartedly jump into community, wholeheartedly give yourself to the truth of the gospel. You can wholeheartedly give yourself to spiritual practices. There's also two other things that form you, time. It takes time to be formed into the image of Jesus. Yes, there are moments where the Lord will meet with you and he'll, like, he'll, he'll encounter you and he might break, break off something or whatever, but it takes time. Daily, daily, walking this thing out with Jesus. It takes time. The other thing, which we don't like to talk about very much, suffering, <laughs> trials, hardships. What do they do? They, we, we get to choose what they do. We have a choice when they come along. We can either let them form us into the image of Jesus and we can we can grow through our trials and let them produce perseverance and character and hope in us. Which one is it, James or Peter? He's like, he's like, rejoice when you have trials. James, come on, rejoice. Okay? Or you can be like the Israelites and you can whinge and complain and go around and round and round and around the mountain. We don't, we don't say, Jesus, send me all the trials, send me suffering. But if we find ourselves in suffering, man, if we have a perspective, man, I'm going to I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. And I might be suffering, but far out, Lord, you prune me in this season. You cut off the stuff that doesn't look like you. I'm going to know you more at the end of this. And it's amazing what he can do in those moments. Sometimes I have found even in the hardest of sufferings that he is so close and he does such a deep work in you that you come out thankful that you went through the suffering, (laughs) right? So don't discount it. If if you're finding that you're in a season where you, you feel like you're suffering or whatever, man, face like Flint, look at Jesus, Look at Jesus. He, he will meet you in that place, and you will be formed in Christ if you allow him to. Okay. Praise God. That was the intro. <laughs> um, I just wanted to give you a fuller picture so you didn't get this idea that if I, if I just do the things, I will be formed it was the part B of last week. Today I want to start talking about prayer and I say start talking about prayer because there's lots of ways to pray. Prayer is a big subject and, you know, essentially it's talking to God. But we want to fill up our prayer tool belt so that we can know all of the different ways that we can relate to God through prayer. And I'm sure that every person in this room actually wants to see um, that they know how to pray in a way that their prayers will be answered. Does anyone want their prayers answered? Does anyone want to learn how to shift, shift things in the atmosphere and see heaven come to earth when you pray? Because what did the word say? What does it say? It says the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective and they avail much. And so we do want to talk about prayer. Robert Law, he wrote, Prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting men, man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on the earth. Hello. <laughs> Hallelujah. So prayer is always about what is, what is on God's heart and how do I partner with that to bring it to be. But before we even get to that, I feel like the Lord wanted to, uh, what's the word? I feel like the Lord wanted to ensure that our hearts are postured for prayer. In a correct way. Does that make sense? So today we're talking about the heart posture. We want to talk about our hearts. We're going to go to Isaiah 57. uh, Verse 14 and 15. It says this. And it shall be said. Build up. Build up. Prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, And revive the heart of the contrite. The Lord, in the scripture, firstly, He's saying, Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle from my people's way. What is the heart of God that we would have union and relationship with Him and there'd be nothing in the way? So, whenever you come to pray, like, Check your heart. Is there anything in the way? Is there anything unbelieving? Because the will of the Lord for you is prepare the way, prepare the way. Move all the blockages out of of my people's way. So if there's blockages, don't be afraid to talk to the Lord about them and remove them. Right? Uh, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I like that it says that there because it reminds me of who I'm praying to. Who are we talking to? The Lord, the one who is high and lifted up. He inhabits eternity. His name is holy. Let's not forget, who is our Father? He inhabits eternity. His name is holy. When we, when we come To pray, let's remember who our Father is. And then it says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. So the Lord's saying, I dwell in the high and holy place, but I also dwell with those who are what? Contrite and lowly in spirit. God just doesn't want to visit you. He wants to dwell with you, right? But we we start to see some keys, contrite, lowly in spirit. We're going to flick over to Isaiah 66 now. And it says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool good reminder. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word." So again, we hear that word contrite, we hear humble, which matches the lowly, and then it also says, and trembles at my word. And so straight away, we start to pick up that the Lord is near and dwells with and looks at those who are humble, those who have contrite spirits, and those who fear the Lord, And so I felt like the Lord wanted to to say, guys, when you come before me, check your heart posture. Because I'll dwell with you. I'll be near to you. I'll I'll look to you. I'll engage with you if this is your heart posture. So we just wanted to dig into that a little bit. Uh, The first one is humble. In the Greek, modesty, humbleness of mind, humility, lowliness of mind, having a humble opinion of oneself, a deep sense of one's littleness. If you want to get a good picture of humility and what it looks like, uh, Philippians 2 is the place to go for that. So we might flick over there. Paul's writing to the Philippian church, and he says to them, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Boom, we'll just stop there. That's, that's the will of God for our church, that we would be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. How, like, how does that even happen? Is that even possible? Like, we'd probably shake our head and be like, how is that even possible? It's possible if, if our minds are all fixed on Jesus. That's the only way. The common denominator is Jesus. We're always going to get little, little nuances with things that we believe or whatever. And that's, that's not what unity is. It's, it's not like we all become robots. That's really important. We can be unified about Jesus. Right? Then he says from verse 3, do nothing. Everyone say Nothing. From selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What does humility look like? Count others more significant than yourselves. Look to each other's interests, not just your own. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is saying we can actually think this way. We can have this. It, it's ours if we belong to Jesus. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Humility looks like Jesus. He emptied himself. What does humility look like in a believer? Empty yourself. What did Jesus say? Anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Empty yourself. If, man, if... if If we had disciples, if we even have 50 disciples that were like, I'm going to put on the humility of Christ and I'm going to start counting others more significant than myself. What could even happen? What could the Lord do with that? Perfect is love, Jimmy says. Come on. This is... This is what humility looks like. And it's ours in Christ if, if we'll say yes, if we're willing to go there. All right. The second one, contrite. It's not a word that we would use on a regular basis. Um, I dug up a Bible dictionary that I bought when I was a zealous teenager wanting to Wanting to have all the things to help me understand the Bible. Um, And contrite means the same kind of spirit or heart pleasing and acceptable to God. People who have a contrite spirit weep over wrongdoings and express genuine sorrow for their sins. Uh, Another definition uh, says being remorseful of past sin and being resolved to avoid future sin. Okay, so this is what contriteness is—contriteness of heart. And I feel like when you, uh, even when you start to uh, put put this on, put this heart posture on of being contrite, you—it's good that you start to see yourself correctly compared to the Lord. We're dust compared to him, right? But you also start to pick up the heart of God for the world around. Man, and then your heart starts to break for some of the, the things in the world and the sin in the world. That, that's available too. It's very uncomfortable because you start to feel the heart of God for others and for, for sin, and for the city, and then you find yourself weeping for hours over, over sin. It's not even your sin, but you've got a contrite heart, and the Lord's like, I can trust you with this. I can trust you with my heart, because your heart's contrite, and so then you can actually start going into deeper prayer for, for people, not just yourself, but for greater things, things that are on the Lord's heart. Um. I was asking the Lord about this and he, he also took me to Matthew 5.3 where Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and I feel like the Lord was like, that, you know, contriteness and being poor in spirit, they go hand in hand. They, they work together. And it looks like being emptied of everything that is self-serving. Everything in you that is opposed to the life and the way of Jesus. That's what being contrite and poor in spirit looks like. There's a uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. He wrote a comprehensive study on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a book, it's like this fat. And it's actually incredible. It's so deep. His revelation is so deep. It's so, such a beautiful uh, book to journey through. But he writes that being poor in spirit means a complete absence of pride, a complete absence of self-assurance and self-reliance. It means a consciousness that we are nothing in the presence of God, It is nothing that we can produce. It is nothing that we can do in ourselves. It is just this tremendous awareness of our nothingness as we come face to face with God. It's good, isn't it? Man, some of these old dudes that walked with the Lord, go read those books. They are good. And... As Christians, you know, it's so interesting because as Christians, we also hold this tension. Like, that is the truth. We need to be poor in spirit to receive the kingdom of God. We need to be contrite. We need to be aware of our sin and and determined to, to not partner with that or keep going in that direction. That's so important. But also, Jesus is like, I've made my home inside of you. I've given you my spirit. I call you my son, my daughter. I've given you the keys of the kingdom, bind and loose. You know, take, I've given you all authority in heaven and on earth, so go, take it. And so we've got this, like, I'm contrite and I'm poor in spirit, but I'm also, I've got authority and power. Guess what? When you, when you actually embrace being contrite in spirit and poor in spirit, he can trust you. With the authority and the power. And you'll find, man, that you'll step into that like a glove. Does that make sense? But it is this like, well, which one is it? It's both. We hold them in tension. Okay? It's not all so black and white in the kingdom. Sorry, black and white people. I like things to be very black and white. But it's, you know, there's, there's tensions. Right? And we learn to to ride those tensions with the Spirit of the Lord. He helps us. All right, third one fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. What did the. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We want to cultivate hearts that tremble at the word of the Lord. We want to cultivate hearts that pursue his, pursue his word. And then when he says what he says, then we're like, go. We go. Why? Because we fear him. Fear of the Lord is not uh, being scared of God. The fear of the Lord is being afraid of being apart from him. There's lots of scriptures about the fear of the Lord. You could talk about this for a month. But I've just picked out a few. Psalm 19.9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord, it keeps you from sin. When you truly fear the Lord, the last thing that you want to do is like just flit around <laughs> with things that aren't, aren't of him. It, it, you start to lose your taste very quickly for the things of the world. Why? Because you fear him. Uh, Psalm 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known his covenant to them. Oh, I said that the wrong way. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known to them his covenant. What's on offer? Friendship. The friendship of the Lord is on offer for those who what? Fear him. Who wants friendship? There's not enough hands. Who wants friendship with the Lord? Who wants friendship with the Lord? Yes, we should have both arms. Like, yes, pick me. He's like, it's for those who fear me. It's a good prayer to pray. Teach me to fear you, God, that I might know you, that I might know your ways, that I might be your friend. That's a good prayer, right? Psalm 38 No, Psalm 33, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Fearing the Lord means being in awe of God, being in awe of who he is, having a holy reverence. May we never lose our wonder. I love that that came out today. May we never lose our wonder. It was an essential ingredient, the awe, the fear of the Lord in the early church. Acts um, 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And then what? Awe came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Right? Right? The awe of God. It's an ingredient that we need. It's, it's the fear of the Lord. One more. Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. When you, when you start being grieved in your spirit for the things that grieve the Lord, then then you start to be aware. Oh, Amen. I'm carrying the fear of the Lord, right? And that's, that's what will happen when you give yourself to being humble, being of a contrite heart, and cultivating a heart of the fear of the Lord. You know, there's, there's no point in, in me teaching you prayer principles or teaching you how to pray if we don't get this heart posture right first. Amen. Amen. I think that's all I've got to say about it. <laughs> that's a good word. You know, oh man, he cares about our hearts. He cares about our hearts. He cares. He cares about what's going on here. So, if I was to set homework for you this week, it would be go into your room. Close the door and pray to the God who is unseen for a humble heart, for a contrite heart, and that he would give you a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is actually a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, of the sevenfold Spirit of God. It's an it's a absolutely acceptable prayer to pray and to ask for. And, you know, before we go pulling down strongholds and demons and, and all of that stuff and asking for, you know, bringing our prayers and petitions, like that's all good. Thanksgiving is good. Declarations are good. Like all that stuff, praying in the Spirit's all good. Heart, 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 heart. Go and close the door and be with Jesus and ask him to cultivate that in your life. Should we pray? Pray.